Well, good morning, Stone Creek. So good to see everybody. Thanks for being here. Did anybody else expect to wake up in Siberia today? Like what in the world just happened? It was 25 degrees. I mean, I'm a baby when it comes to cold weather, y'all. So I may roll my sleeves down here in a second. Um, but glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us online. Um, you know, just real quick before we get into the message today, you know, last weekend was pause, as Ryan mentioned just a few minutes ago. Uh, y'all got to pick up the pace right here on the front row. Come on. Right. Um, hey, one thing I want to say about pause, pause is our, uh, you know, our kind of our winter retreat, weekend retreat for our middle and high schoolers. And what was really cool about this particular one is that we had, it, the theme was homecoming. So we had so many of our students who graduated four, five, six, seven years ago, come back to be a part of the weekend. And they, some of them actually taught the last session to close it out. Man, um, they served, they gave, and it's just a testimony to, to our vision to have a church that impacts generations. And we won't stop until that's in place. Amen, somebody. Right, we really believe in it. it was just such a picture of the kind of church that we want to be. We had over 230 students and adults and everything in between go and really see God move. Man, we saw uh, kids give their life to Christ. We saw some kids commit to go into full-time ministry, um, which is really important for us um, because those are the kids that will be pastoring our grandkids and, and their kids. And that, that's how the legacy will come on. So it was a great weekend. Thanks for all you did to make that happen. You know, we're in this season called, or series called Follow Season. Let's all say follow, follow. And it's just this idea that Jesus said this. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, Jesus was talking to some fishermen when he said it. And these guys would have been fishing for, you guessed it, fish. <laughs> and fish are smelly and ugly and messy and people can be too. But what Jesus did in that moment, man, he raised the level of their calling. He took them from being fishermen of fish to being fisher of men, to leave a lasting legacy, to live on purpose with a purpose, man, to show them a higher way, to show them a better way to live. And this is what it means for all of us. When he says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He's saying, come after me, watch how I do life. Watch how I handle people. Watch how I talk about money. Watch how I handle conflict. Watch how I do everything. And if you do that, it's gonna call you to a higher level of life. Now, in 1989, there was a student worker in Holland, Michigan, that read a book called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. And there was this phrase in the book that captured her heart, captured her attention, and she wanted to know what way can I have this phrase imprinted on the hearts of my students. And that phrase was one that a lot of us have heard. What would Jesus do? Anybody heard that? Now, the way that she wanted to get it imprinted on her students' lives was through something that was very popular at the time, and it was a bracelet. And so she wanted to get a bracelet and give them to her 30 kids, but what would Jesus do wouldn't fit on a bracelet, so she came up with the acronym, what? WWJD. She must have been Baptist, right? Because that's what we do, if, we're, if that's what you do if you're Baptist. Only the Baptist laughed. That's good. <laughs> WWJD on these bracelets. So here's what she did. She printed 30 and gave them away. Printed 100, got rid of all those. And then before you know it, she printed a lot of these bracelets. She thought to herself, self, you should actually copyright this, make some money, and you could start a nonprofit. But she was too late. The producer of the bracelets had already taken the name, begun mass, produce, mass producing, and made millions of dollars. And this student worker didn't make a dime. But she had eternal 
impact. Amen? Man, her phrase challenged us. And that phrase is so simple, but it's not easy. It's difficult. You know, when we embark to follow Jesus, we're going to face obstacles. Man, we're going to face this temptation to take a shortcut. Our our eyes are going to get caught up in these short-term desires that will actually sabotage our long-term destiny. Jesus faced these same temptations. And today we're just going to unpack how he handled them because they're going to fall into three categories. Every temptation falls into one of these three categories and all of us face them at some point in our lives. And how can we handle them in such a way that we continue to follow and we don't give up? That we continue to follow and see the promises and the results and the hopes and the promises of God in our life. How, How do we do that? So we're going to grab our Bibles. Let's start with the book of Luke today. We're going to be in the book of Luke. We're going to start in chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab your phone. I would encourage you to do two things. Um, There's some journals there in the back, uh, a little uh, breezeway that you can get to take some notes. Because I'm going to say some things that are just amazing, quite honestly. And you don't want to write them down. (laughs) If you're a guest, you know why they're laughing. Um, Also, grab your phone because there's going to be some things to pull on the screen. You can just snag a picture of and look at them throughout the week. So uh, grab a journal, grab your phone, and then we're going to start out in Luke chapter 3. Now, now just to set the stage for what's happening, Jesus is... um, Jesus has come to a guy named John the Baptist, and Jesus is going to get baptized. Now, now... Jesus was baptized. In that culture, baptism was this ritual that you went through, that you were dunked under the water and you raised back up. And that just symbolized kind of washing off um, the sin, washing off the dirt, washing off the old life and raising to walk in a new way of life. Now, Jesus comes to be baptized. Now, now Jesus didn't need to be baptized for that symbolism because let's remember, Jesus was perfect. He had nothing that needed to be washed away. This is This is the son of God we're talking about, but he did it. Why? To show us how we should respond, to show us what we should do. And right after he's baptized in chapter three, verse 22, it says, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. Now let's don't miss what just happened here. It seems so simple and so obvious, but God just gave Jesus his identity. He told him who he was. And this was going to be really important. Because unless Jesus was real confident and understood who he was, when you get to something as hard as crucifixion, you may not go all the way. You may back down and back away. But Jesus was clear on who he was. He he got his identity right here. And this starts Every journey towards Christ. Now, 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 identity is just who we are. And we all have to answer that question. So, because we will never act beyond how we see ourselves. And the, the way we make decisions, the way we enter relationships, and the way, the way that we spend money, all is tied to how we think about ourselves. It's all tied, it's all tied to our identity. So let me ask you this question. Who are you? Like if you have to define yourself, if you have to think about who you are, it's a question you have to answer every day because there's lots of people that want to tell you what they want you to be and who you should be so they can profit from it. Who are you? Because if you don't know who you are, you won't live the life that you want to live. So for instance, if you don't think you're beautiful, ladies, you'll shrink back, you'll hide, 
You'll live in insecurity and feel like you're unlovable. You know, as men, if you don't feel like you're strong and have what it takes and you'll shrink back, you'll be insecure. You won't step in and lead your family. If you have kids, you won't challenge them. You'll hide from conflict when you need to be the one to step in. And if you don't think you're smart, you'll either always be quiet or you'll always be funny. One of the two. Because you don't want anybody to know. Man, man, this question, who are we, is extremely important to answer. And so here's the journey for everybody who follows Christ. The first thing that happens is you get a new identity. You get a new identity. See, the Bible says that, that anyone who's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Listen, you, you have different motivations. It doesn't mean you do things different things. It means you do things differently. So for instance, you may still go to the same job. You don't necessarily have to sell everything and move to Africa unless God tells you to do that. And that sounds appealing, but you do your job differently. You have different motivation. You want to help people at work. You, you, you want to earn money to store up treasure in heaven, not to build your own kingdom. You do it differently, but God doesn't stop with us there. There's this identity. And then we get to what's called initiation. Like how I did two eyes there, Baptist in the room, you gotta love that, let's go. Identity, initiation, this is training, this is refining, this is developing, like God's gonna develop you. We're gonna see God do this in Jesus' life here in just a second. That's what most of the message today will be about is that piece right there, that initiation. Because every day when your feet hit the floor, if you follow God, man, God wants, you to, God wants to do something in your life. Man, God wants to change you. He wants to develop you. He wants to sand off the rough edges. He wants to help chisel away the marble that's in the way of you being everything he's created you to be. There's this initiation that happens. And then finally, 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 there's impact. There, there, there's our purpose. And, and this is where we want to start, right? Like we all want, just give me the purpose and help me live that out. And just, I don't care about the rest. This isn't God's, it's not God's process. We get impact and we see actually after Jesus goes through initiation, he starts his public ministry. Man, we want to know what our life's about. We want to know what's the thing we're supposed to do. We want to know how we can live out our purpose. Man, but there's a process we have to go through. And too many people have jumped to have an impact without being ready for it. And their character crumbled under the weight of it. So watch what happens as we see the story of Jesus uh, as he's tempted in the wilderness in John chapter 4, um, it says, When Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Okay? So you have Jesus, got baptized. Now he's in the wilderness for 40 days, going to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, this is an understatement of the Bible, he was hungry. <laughs> 40 days he was hungry. And over the last few weeks as we've been in this season, we've been fasting, not as severely as Jesus has, but we've been fasting. We've been going without a meal um, because fasting involves food. So you go without a meal to turn your infection on God. Affection, did I say infection? Turn your affection on God. <laughs> Misspoke there. And meet with God. That's, that's why we fast. And so you miss a meal. For, for, there's many, many of us, we're going 22 days. We're going to miss a meal a day. How many of you guys have missed at least one meal in the last 12, 14 days since we started? Like a lot of you, right? Can you imagine 40? Like 40 times three, that's 120 meals. Like that's a lot. I'm, I'm hungry just thinking about it, aren't you? Like it just happens. But Jesus does this. Why? 
He's about to start his ministry. It's a really important and critical time in his life. And he wants to be sure he's ready. And then he's totally focused and his eyes are centered on God. So he fasts for 40 days. Now, now, now just a couple things about what's happening so that we'll be able to unpack the three temptations that Jesus goes through. Uh, the first thing that we see is there's this, this character that emerges called the devil. Not your mother-in-law, the devil, Satan. <laughs> and see, the, the thing about Satan, that's actually a word for the accuser. You see, Satan accuses you. And he accuses you at the level of your identity, what we're going to uncover. And here, here's, here's something that all of us have experienced. We may not have connected the dots. You know, we've all heard that it takes seven comment, positive comments to overcome one negative comment. Seven positive to overcome one negative. Like for me, I feel like it's 207, don't you, at times? Because that negative comment, we have this ability to put it on replay. And we have the ability to blow it up and make it bigger than it really is. And we have help. And his name is Satan. Now, I get it. There's some of you that are spiritually unresolved today, not really sure you're in the journey. Like, ah, Satan, that feels like hocus pocus witch, all that stuff. I would just say kind of on a, on a surface level, just to help you consider it for the time that we're teaching today. You know that there's evil in the world. That, that's obvious. Who's behind that? Now, 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 my argument would be that it's Satan, but, but at least we have to act, know that there's somebody behind that. So if you'll just take it at that and let's use that as we teach. So there's Satan. Um, there's also this idea of tempting and testing. No, a temptation is just this temptation from Satan to take us away from God. But God will use it to test us. I like to say it like this. Satan will use a temptation to destroy you, but God will use a test to develop you. Okay, they're two sides of the same coin, and it all depends on how we respond. It all depends on how we respond. Now, we're going to all be tempted to go away from God. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you. It's not common to man. We're all going to face temptations. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with this temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what God wants to do is to use this temptation as a test, again, to help develop us, because this is what God is doing. And God is growing us up. He's maturing us. He's helping us to step into the fullness of who he's created us to be. And it's going to take some work to get there. Now, now, now the, you'll notice that 40 days, I just want to make this connection, because for symbolism reasons, it's going to be important to understand the, the symbolism of 40 days. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's people, uh, they were in slavery in Egypt. Moses comes to lead them out of slavery into the promised land. So think about, man, they're going to get to purpose. They're going to get to freedom. They get to everything they've ever been anticipating and looking for. They're going to go there. But they end up 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. And in that time, and they were tested, God did some purifying. God did some things during that time. And they didn't pass. But we're going to see in the life of Jesus is Jesus passes. 40 years tempting and testing in the wilderness. And then we come to the very first temptation, appetites. It's in the level of our appetites. Let's all say appetites together. Appetites, like we all have them. We all have them, don't we? We have good appetites, 
but sometimes we fulfill them in ways that aren't good, in ways that actually take us away from God. Watch what Jesus does in, in Luke chapter 4, um, where in going to be in verse 3. It says, the devil said to Jesus, hey, if you're the son of God, see what just happened right there? His identity, that's where the question's coming from. That's where the temptation's coming from. God just told him, you're my, this is my son. Oh, if you are the son of God, this is where it's happening. We have to be aware of what's going on. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, he didn't say that because he was anti-carb, of course. There's some symbolism around this idea of bread. And, when G- and we see that our appetites have this ability to get us in trouble. Now, now, bread, two different images we have here. The first one is that in, when the nation of Israel... When they were in the wilderness, they get in the wilderness and they're like, God, you let us out here and we got no food. We're going to die. We'd be better off in slavery, which sometimes we do that. It's called addiction. We do that. And God says, just walk outside. So every morning when they got up, they would walk outside and there would be this white wafer-like food on the ground. And they would gather it up. And it was called manna. You know what manna means? What is it? Literally, it means, what is it? And the reason why they'd never seen it before, see, God provided in a way that nobody expected. This is kind of how God is. So they, they would go and they would gather, and their command was to gather just enough for one day. Just enough for one day. Go out in the morning, get enough to... Because what would happen is overnight, if you had enough to keep overnight, what would happen is it would turn rancid. And what God was trying to teach them in the wilderness and what Jesus is trying to teach us through this temptation turned into a test is that God will provide, that we can trust God, not our appetites. I mean, that God is the one who wants to fulfill our appetites. We don't have to have have them filled in ways that take us away from God. And this other image that we have here is where Jesus says, I am the, when he says bread, Jesus uses this later. He says, I am the bread of life. So what he means by that is like all of life is found in me. Everything you need to have life is found in me. Purpose, meaning, satisfaction, peace, energy, hope. Everything that you need for life is found in me. This is what it means to have the bread of life. Now, now Jesus uses a scripture to actually make his point because Jesus says it is written. Now, let me just talk about that for a second. It is written. Like, like I know like the Bible has fallen out of popularity recently. Man, totally understand that. I mean, I get, I feel like it's been used for illegitimate purposes and that's one reason. But if Jesus needed to quote from the Bible, how much more do we need it? Amen should go right there. Somebody, let's go. Like, like I get it. Like we don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus, but we, we have God's words written here. We really believe that when you open, when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. And it may not be that, you know, you have to make a vocational decision tomorrow. Do I buy that business or not? Turn to page 731 and it says, you know, something. You're not going to, it's not going to, you're not going to find it like that. But here's what it's like. Let's imagine tomorrow you get up and go to the gym and you work out for the first time this year. What's going to happen on Tuesday? You're going to be really sore. You're going to really hurt if you worked out at all. You're, <laughs> you're going to be sore. You're going to hurt. You're going to be like, oh, I don't want to go back. But what if you worked out from now until the end of the year? You get to the end of the year, you're going to look good, right? Because you exercise every day. What about eating better? Like you could decide I'm going vegetarian. 
You go home and today all you have is just vegetables. Now, what's going to happen tomorrow? Your digestive tract is going to be messed up. But in a year, what's going to happen? And you're going to be healthy. Hey, listen, this is the same with God's word. Man, there are times it's going to be like a lightning bolt, but more than anything, man, it's just going to nourish your soul so that you will know how to stand up under times of testing and you will know how to follow God. Now, now, now the thing about appetites that we, we, we sometimes forget because we grew up in this country, we forget how it's woven into culture. It's woven into our culture abundance, abundance. And a word that you should write next to appetites is the word consume. And not to give a long history lesson, but just let me give a couple of points to help remind us about the culture that we live in and where it's pointing. So they just so we'll know. And I'm not saying it's inherently bad. It's just a reality. So when the first settlers came uh, on the Mayflower before that, but from England, from that area of the world, when they, came, when they left, they had nothing. They were living in squalor. Man, they, had, they didn't have enough food. They, just, they were just hoping one of their family could get out and come here so they could survive. And then they land on the shores of this country. And they begin to walk through the woods and in the open fields. And there's animals everywhere to eat. Man, they had more than they needed. Man, they were able to grow their own crops and there was land to be found. And, and they had the land runs that happened. The last one happened in, uh, in Oklahoma, I believe. And um, the... So people were kind of camped out on the border of Kansas and the signal was given and they ran out and they staked their claim to 142 acres of land. Like it was like winning the lottery. And you see, this is kind of the background of our culture because we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And life, the way they were defining it was abundance. Had a lot, right? A lot to consume. And at times, they didn't even know what to do. So you would just find herds of buffalo eradicated because they just thought, people just thought, we got a lot, we should just take it because that's what you do, you consume. Now, we know better than that. And the danger that we face is because we have a lot, we can have this propensity to consume. Have you ever noticed when you buy a new computer, well, like within two weeks, you've just used up all the storage on it? That's our life. Have you ever noticed when you buy a new house, right, you fill it up really quickly and then you rent what? a storage unit for all the stuff you have that, you, that doesn't fit in. We just have this ability. Have you ever noticed when you go to Cheesecake Factory, they bring you way more food than you can eat, but you try to eat it anyway because it's on your plate and your mama taught you to eat everything on your plate? Like we're, we're bent to consume, but in other places, it's not like that. Like, like now when we go to the grocery store and they don't have any cream cheese for our buffalo dip, we're like, the shelf is empty. It must be the rapture, right? <laughs> because we don't know what to do with it. Shelves are always full, but now we go and they're not. It's like, oh, this is the way it is everywhere else in the world. Like I had the privilege of preaching in Cuba a few years ago. And when you go to the store there, you go in and it's empty. And so you only have a limited amount of choices and you don't get to pick up the avocados and see if they're soft enough or the limes, right? You just get what's there. They're empty. And so the danger for us is that we have so much is that we'll consume and not remember to trust God to satisfy our appetites. And so we have to remember, do you acknowledge God when satisfying your appetites? Like when, you, when you're able to, you know, go somewhere, whether it's on, whether you get to go to pause in a great retreat or maybe to, you know, a, a new venue or maybe you get to watch something on Netflix or maybe even eating a meal, like do you acknowledge God? I know I was, I was convicted of this uh, several years ago uh, in a movie. How many of you guys seen Book of Eli, right? Book of Eli. Adults should watch that. Kids should not. Okay. So I'm just, 
There's a disclaimer. Don't watch it if you're under the age of 21. Um, in, the, in that particular movie, there's this scene. It's kind of an apocalyptic movie. Denzel Washington's playing Eli. He's sitting across the table from a girl, and they're eating a meal. Man, he begins to give thanks. And he, it wasn't just that God is great, God is good, let's thank him for our food kind of thing. And there was just this heart of genuine, deep gratitude for what God had provided for them. And this is how we should live our lives. Man, by trusting God, he's the one that's going to satisfy us. He's the one that's going to bring us home. He's the one that we should turn our attention to. So we see the first temptation happens with appetites. Appetites, man, we just, we have this propensity to consume. Now, now, now the next one we see in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 5. It says, the devil took Jesus up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me. I give it to whoever I will. So what Satan is saying, everything you see that's temporary, every kingdom, every kingdom on the earth, it's mine. It belongs to me. Again, earthly kingdom, temporary kingdom, short term. He says, he said, I'll I'll give it to you if you will worship me. It will be yours. And Jesus said, it is written. Like that? It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Like, Jesus was already going to be worshipped, right? Like, why would he do that? It's just this short-term decision, temporary gain, sabotaging long-term destiny. And so the way out, it tells us, is through serving. Now, this actually comes from the Ten Commandments, and this is ambition. This is ambition. At appetites, this one is ambition, and it's coveting things that aren't really mine. In Exodus chapter 20, when we have the Ten Commandments, this is the Tenth Commandment. It says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that's your neighbor's. Like we're not to look at what someone else has and want it for ourselves. It's not, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have ambition. I believe everybody in the room has ambition. I mean, whether you're trying to get good grades or get into college or whether you're trying to grow your business or whether you're trying to grow your family or whether you're trying to get married, like whatever it is, like we have ambition. The problem is not ambition. The problem is where it's taking us. And so Jesus was tempted in this area of ambition, the short-term sacrifice of his long-term legacy. Now, now, there are good desires that we fulfill in bad ways. So we all like, so let me give a couple of examples just to make it, uh, to bring it home a little bit. We all have a desire for, for home, don't we? Like we all have a desire to be at home, a place of stability, a place of care, a place with central air and heating, you know, a place where we have good relationships, a place that we can look to for comfort, a place of protection. Man, we all have a desire for home. God has put us there because it says that Jesus has gone what? To build a home for us. That's what he's doing. So we have this desire. But what happens is we turn that desire for a home into a house. And we spend our energy and effort and resources around that house with that square footage in that neighborhood with that address. And we get focused on a house rather than on a home. Same is true with treasure. Like we all have this desire for more treasure, i.e. money. 
We all have that. We, we, we can think of everything that we do with it. Like how many people have you talked to? Like what would you do with the lottery? The first thing they say is, I'd give a lot of it away. You really wouldn't, but you think you will. And this sounds good. We have a desire for treasure. You might, I'm joking. But like we have this desire for treasure. So what happens is we, we try to gain treasure, but Jesus says store up treasure in heaven, right? So it's, we have this desire, but what happens is we fulfill these desires in illegitimate ways. And the word that you should write next to ambition is the word competition. We are a highly competitive culture. You notice this. In the first service, there was a guy wearing a Buffalo Bills jersey. Yeah, I did. I called him out. <laughs> but we, we, we have this highly competitive nature. And I don't, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do your best. Like at our staff meetings, we play a game and there's always a winner. Like we are not upward basketball. We keep score. You know what I mean? We, we have competition. But what can happen in our culture is that when we're always competitive and we're hyper competitive, people become adversaries, not the treasure of God's heart. Have you ever been somewhere? Maybe you're in the line at the grocery store and you get in your line and you've got less than 10 items and the person in front of you has 15. Why? Because you counted them. Why? Because you're competitive. You win. You only had 10. He's got 15. He's breaking the rules. I should go first. What about in traffic? Have you ever done this? This is all I'm going to say. Have you ever been sitting in traffic and you just, and someone pulls in front of you and you do this? What are you doing? You're competitive. Have you, ever, have you ever called someone number one using one of your fingers? <laughs> Listen, we're really competitive. Man, that's not honoring God, is it? And so, so Jesus, in this moment, says you should worship the Lord your God and you should do what? Serve. Serve. And the way out of ambition, of overrun ambition, of unhealthy ambition is to serve people. Man, man, that's one of the things that's so cool about this weekend. And we had so many leaders that went, stayed the night, even though there was some bad weather, you know, helped students, served students, cared about students, served when none of you will even know who they are or what their name is. You know who knows? Man, God knows. God knows. I know some of them. I don't even know all of them. Man, those students, they may not even know, but they will. The students' lives are different now. They're changed. Why? Because the people served. Like, like wh wh where, where in your life are you serving others for no personal gain? Like, we're not getting anything out of it. Man, where, where people may not even know that you're serving. They don't know the late night phone calls. Man, they don't know the times you've sat with a friend during a difficult time and let them cry on your shoulder. Man, they don't know the time you help someone move. Like, where are you serving people? Man, and you're, you're not getting any personal gain out of it. Man, we have appetites. We tend, to, we tend to consume. We have ambition. And ambition for us is the pursuit of happiness in that phrase. Because the pursuit of happiness for the founding fathers was the individual competition. Who's first? And then the last one we have is this idea of approval. Any recovering people pleasers out there? You know what that means? Know what that looks like? Know what that feels like? So Jesus, 
faces his last temptation. Um, over in verse 9, it says that Satan took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, the temple, scholars would say at this particular point, was probably 60 feet in the air. But not only that, it was over, looking over a certain valley. So the drop, if Jesus were to jump off, would have been about 450 feet. Like, it's a, it's a long way. And Satan says this, it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, I love that. Because this is still the Bible. He moved from it's written to it is said, God has spoken. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here's the picture. You have Jesus up on this temple. And he's going to take this long fall. And the angels will come around him. And they will rescue him up and just deliver him gently on the ground to his adoring fans. And Jesus is going to land and he's going to brush himself off. And he's going to say, thank you, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, no, wait, that's me. I should get all the praise for that. Someone's going to sign him to a contract for his own reality TV show. He's going to have cameramen begin to follow him around all the time, marking his every move. And it's the culture of celebrity. You see, Jesus was not about to try to become famous at the expense of being significant. And we all know the culture of celebrity that we live in. We all know how we like to point to us and look at us. And we watch people on TV and we watch what they do. And we buy what they say to buy. And we use the products they say to use so that what we will have approval. Hey, we, we know what it's like to live for approval. Not a person in this room hasn't lived for approval at some point in their life. Now, now obviously, we should care what other people think, right? It informs how we live. It informs our manners. It informs our etiquette. <laughs> but when we become hostage to someone else's opinion of us, and we have sabotaged our long-term purpose for short-term popularity. We tend to idolize the wrong people. This is a little bit of a tangent, but do you notice how we idolize people who can get a reality TV show? And there's really no redeeming quality whatsoever. Man, what about the husbands who sat with a dying wife who nobody knows about? And, and, and is left to, to raise his children. And what about that mom who sits with that special needs kid and takes them to, takes them to doctor's appointments and therapy appointments? Man, where's their, where's their show? And what about those students who struggle with deep, dark thoughts and don't want to? Like these, we should be celebrating people who have character and integrity and who look to the future and who don't want to spend their life on themselves and who aren't so busy pointing at themselves, they forget everybody else standing behind them. And they don't forget the people's shoulders they're standing on. Man, those are the people that we should celebrate. Approval, man, the, the people pleasing. I'm, I'm going to give you a list. Here's some symptoms of people who are people pleasers. You're, over, you're overcommitted. Anybody in here overcommitted? Because you don't want to say no because someone may think less of you. 
You are always nice, agreeable, and you apologize for things that aren't even your fault. <laughs> Do you ever feel underappreciated? I think that's all of us. They, did, they didn't see what I did. Like, I didn't want to be told thank you, but they didn't say thank you. You know why you thought that? Because you wanted them to say thank you. So did I. Do you ever make excuses for your mistakes because you just can't handle the thought of failing somebody? Do you ever show favoritism to people who can do something for you? Do you do things you don't want to do and then you resent it? Like, ah, oh, I've got to go down here and help this widow across that street, but I don't really have time. Are you afraid to say what you really believe? Do you imagine that people are upset with you when they really aren't? Maybe you struggle with people pleasing. Nothing will grip harder than the fear of man. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt said that, that we wouldn't worry so much about what people thought about us if we realized how little they did, <laughs> that they don't think about us at all. Here's the question. What, what are your people-pleasing tendencies? Are you nice? You just fit in? You always do what's asked? Always avoid conflict? And what are your people-pleasing tendencies? Listen, we, we tend to forget. We tend to forget who we are, and then we won't follow Jesus. We tend to forget who we are, and we won't follow Jesus. I want to circle back around to that question. Who are you? Who are you? Well, like in these categories, if you think about who you are as it comes to your, to your appetites, you know, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Right, right. Anyone who comes to Jesus, he provides full satisfaction. All the restlessness and the questions and the confusion that you face internally, all of the, all of the, the voices and the internal monologue that you have find their yes in Christ. He is the place to go. He is perfect. He is the promise that we all know happens somewhere in here. We know there's a promise, and it's in Jesus. That's where our appetites are satisfied. Man, when it comes to our ambition, you know, Jesus said it this way. He's like, don't lay up for yourself treasure where moth can eat, rust will destroy, and thieves can break in and steal. Lay up treasure where? Lay up treasure in heaven that can never be taken away from you. Man, invest in eternity. Invest in the things that are going to matter. Man, don't let yourself be caught up in this culture of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But let it be caught up in the pursuit of eternity and true meaning. Have appetites. He's the bread of life. We have ambition, man. Treasure in heaven. And I love this last one. Approval. Man, don't you want to know you're approved of on some level? We all do. Jesus, Jesus tells a story like this, man. He says that when we get to the end of time, man, God's going to just, he's going to examine our faith. <clears throat> and he's going to examine us based on who knows Jesus and who doesn't. And for those who do, he's going to say this. You've heard it. Well done good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And man, I long for these five words, just like all of us. I am proud of you. That's the promise. That's who we are because we follow Jesus. Let's pray together. So let's just step into this moment of prayer, just silent, quiet examination. Let God examine your heart. Man, ask yourself some of these questions. 
Do you have people-pleasing tendencies and let that drive your life? And are you serving people in areas where nobody sees? Man, have you, are you acknowledging God when you're satisfying appetites in everything that you do? God, we just grab onto the promise today that you're everything that we're looking for. And God, we just recalibrate our lives today around following you, around seeing the person of Jesus, experiencing him through your word today. Lord, that we would hear those words, hey, I'm, I'm proud of you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, for those who have been seeking approval and they know it and tears well up in their eyes when they just can't figure out how to resist it, Lord, that you would just give them a supernatural vote of confidence today, that they're enough, that you've done everything, there's nothing they need to do. God, that you care deeply for them, so much so that you sent your one and only son, not to condemn them, but they might have life. For people who have gotten their eyes on the things of this world and consuming and satisfying their appetites and thought it was gonna bring them happiness and pleasure only to find out it was just one more dead end, God. Today, their eyes will be enlightened and they will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God, for those who have lived on pure, sheer ambition, achieving, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, man, escaping their past and their, and their upbringing, God, man, you just give them a clear picture of the good ambition of following Christ. Lord, we just pray this would always be a church that doubles down on Jesus. <laughs> and it's in his name that we pray. And everybody said, A.